Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. You know, the last voice that you hear in that series introduction video is the great Southern Baptist preacher, Adrian Rogers. He, in that passage, is reading from Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, about, about fasting. And in that, in that reading, he, he warns about the danger of fasting like the hypocrites. And he adds just a brief comment as he is reading that passage, calling those hypocrites, quote-unquote, play actors who disfigure their faces and who, who put on a mask. It turns out that there is a danger in the kingdom of God from, from those who are not truly citizens of the kingdom, but rather are merely actors on a stage, people who have perfected a role. Now, I will say this may be one of the most uncomfortable topics that we have to talk about in the church. It's uncomfortable because we all, we all get this, this kind of notion that there is this difference between churchgoers and citizens of the kingdom of God. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that the difference isn't always altogether clear. If you went to a play, it's, it's clear who the actors on the stage are. It's easy to identify who, who's playing a part and, and who's not. Once the play is over, the actors come out, they take a bow, and they receive their appropriate recognition. The audience responds. Everyone understands who the actors are. But when the actors are sitting in the audience, when they are portraying the role of audience members, let's just say that makes things ever more complicated. And therein lies the danger that we encounter in the passage that we are going to look at today. So today, I want us to use Jesus' words to accomplish two things. First, they need to be a warning to the actors in our midst for you to take a very long look in the mirror and see exactly what character you are portraying. Today is one of those necessary pulse checks that we have in church, where we sit down and just make sure everything's all right. But secondly, it should help us to guard our hearts from being misled by those whose hearts are far from the Lord, but whose mask is one that appears altogether close. So if you've got your Bibles this morning, open with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, as we approach the, the, the near the ending of this series in the Sermon on the Mount, as we work towards the conclusion in Jesus' sermon, remember as you turn to Matthew chapter 7 that, that the headings in the chapter that, are, that we see here are, are simply editorial tools to help us understand the content better. When Jesus preached this sermon, he didn't pause between thoughts and, and give a subject heading for what he's about to say. And so, so we're going to be crossing some of these headings in order to understand exactly what Jesus has to say to us today. So in Matthew chapter 7, I invite you to stand with me if you're able as we read God's word from Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. 
For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or, or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Father, we thank you for the precious words of God, even though they strike us in a very challenging way today. We ask that you might speak to our hearts, God, that you would help us to take that necessary pulse check to make sure that we are where we ought to be and that we are who we say we are in the kingdom of God. Thank you again for your goodness and kindness and mercy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As we consider Jesus' words here, the, the first thing that ought to strike us is this simple fact. Entry into the kingdom of God is very particular. Entry into the kingdom of God is very particular. Particular. Let me be very clear. This is not popular, and it will not make you or I very many friends to affirm this. Let's also be clear that these are Jesus' words here, that these are not the words of some denomination or some particular preacher. The only particular preacher that is here is Jesus, and Jesus is the one who is saying this. But you can't help but read the words of Jesus here and feel this overwhelming significance from what he is saying. Listen, we are living in a day where the most popular opinion about faith that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something. Now, that view of the world might might make us feel good, but it couldn't be further from the truth. When we consider these words in light of the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to quickly come to realize the truth of what Jesus is saying here as he reminds us that we ought to enter into the narrow gate and beware of the wide gate. Consider Jesus' words in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The only people who possess the kingdom of God are those indeed who are poor in spirit. Blessed are the merciful. Why? For they shall receive mercy. Who receives mercy? Those who are merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Isn't it interesting how challenging it is to live as kingdom citizens? We understand when Jesus says that the way that leads to life is narrow, the gate is narrow, we understand why, because it is truly challenging to, to live up to the standards that are laid out before us here. D.A. Carson said, in fact, these things are impossible for us 
apart from God's grace. They are alien to much of what is in us, which cries out to be heard. And therefore, the, the realignment that is part and parcel of genuine conversion is a confining thing. There is no room for me to set my opinion against the Lord's. No room to set goals in any way at cross purposes to His. No room to form attachments which vie for the central place the Lord Jesus must have. When we talk about the narrow way, it is this way that Jesus would have us to walk. We also need to keep in mind that the majority opinion about what matters of faith actually are are very misleading, if not outright deadly. Again, we live in this world today where, where what do the opinion polls say? What do most people believe? What's the approval rating? How are the people thinking? How are the people feeling? What, what do we think about this? Listen, it doesn't matter what the majority say. It doesn't matter what most of the people say. It doesn't matter what nine out of ten dentists say. What matters is what Jesus says, and Jesus says the way that leads to life is narrow. The gate is narrow. The majority pathway, according to Jesus, is on a pathway straight to destruction. Now, if you're looking for the best way to please the largest number of people, the kingdom of God is not it. The kingdom of God is not going to lead you to be the most popular, the best looking, the most attractive. It's not going to give you the biggest crowd of followers. It's not going to make you the, the social media darling. It's not going to happen. However, the benefit of being in the kingdom far outweighs the cost. Consider the nature of these two different pathways. One is spacious and popular, but its destination is devastation. The other is narrow, it's confining, it's unpopular, but its destination is life. But I found that in this experience of human life, that we as human beings worry far more about the path and not enough about the destination. We worry far more about how we get there rather than what is waiting for us when we arrive. We worry about how it feels today without thinking about the considerations for what eternity holds. And with this in mind, I firmly believe this, that it would be immoral for me to consider these words of Jesus this morning and not ask you this very simple question. Which pathway are you on? Notice that Jesus points out this simple fact here. There's not a third option. There's not a third rail. There is only two pathways. You are either on a pathway that leads to destruction or you are on a pathway that leads to life. And at some point, your pathway will end. There will no longer be any opportunity to recalculate as your GPS might want you to do. Jesus said it in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There are undoubtedly those hearing this message today whose lives are flying down a multi-lane interstate highway. The pathway is easy. The traffic is moving. The speed limit is high. It feels good. 
But the Word of God today is presenting you with an exit ramp that takes you off the highway and puts you on one of those narrow backcountry roads that nobody likes to drive on, that aren't popular, that's filled with lots of twists and turns. Will you take that exit today? You need to understand something. The exit that takes you to eternal life is not an easy one to take, but it's the only thing that takes you to eternal life. The interstate, that wide, easy pathway, is guaranteed to keep rolling straight on into oblivion. Do not pass the exit. Follow the pathway of Jesus, and to do so is a matter of repentance from sin and trust in Jesus. At the end of our service today, I'd love the opportunity to chat with you and help you to navigate the exit. So the, the pathway that leads to Jesus, the pathway that leads to life, is very particular. There's a specific way, and it's through Jesus. But in light of that, we also need to be very much mindful of imposters. We need to beware of imposters. Look at verse 15. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes and figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad. You know, I saw a news report the other day that suggested that the COVID-19 vaccine comes with a little card that you'll be able to carry in your wallet. And the card is supposed to provide you with a reminder of the date you got your vaccine and when you're supposed to get the booster shots and things like that. It also serves as proof that you've been vaccinated. I know it's not quite as exciting as a microchip implant or an invisible tattoo, which so many of us were looking forward to. But I could see where such a little card could probably expedite you going to the doctor and receiving medical attention. I, I could see where having that little card would help you go visit a nursing home. You know, you've got proof that you've been vaccinated. I could see where that would come in, in handy. And again, it's not a microchip, and I know that we were looking forward to that. But, you know, it'll do. Wouldn't it be nice if the kingdom came with a little plastic ID card? Wouldn't that be something? If only true citizens got their card, Nobody else gets one. Only true citizens of the kingdom of God get their card. The only catch is that it have to be issued by God himself. Surely his DMV would be more efficient than ours. But he's the only one who truly knows our hearts. He's the only one who could truly issue a kingdom ID card. After Jesus' instruction about the narrow way and the wide way, he warns us that there are those in our midst who are, in a sense, carrying fake IDs. He's particularly concerned here about false prophets, wolves in the clothing of sheep. These would be people who preach a very Christian-sounding message, but who are actually not on the way that Jesus prescribed back in verse 14. And a Christian-sounding message can be a very dangerous one because a Christian-sounding message is intended to appeal to those who are on the wide pathway and keep them on the wide pathway. However, the testimony of God's Word is very clear. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, 
It is the power of God. Listen, if you hear people preaching or teaching any kind of gospel that doesn't follow the narrow pathway, then you need to be very wary. If you hear people preaching and teaching conspiracy theories and political engagement and social justice over and above the gospel, then you need to be very weary. That's not to suggest that Christians shouldn't keep our heads on a swivel when it comes to the dishonesty of our present day. It's not to say that Christians shouldn't be engaged in our civic responsibilities. It's not to say that Christians shouldn't be engaged in caring for those who are poor and oppressed. However, none of those things end in life. It is only the gospel that leads to life. And it is only the way of the cross that leads to life everlasting. And according to Jesus here, the clearest indicator of the presence of saving faith, indeed we might even say the closest thing that we have to an ID card, is the presence of fruit. Look at what he says here, verses 16 through 20. He talks about healthy trees can only bear healthy fruit. Diseased trees can't bear good fruit. He says in verse 20, you will recognize them by their fruits. We need to remember this isn't about well-meaning Christians going on witch hunts to try to root out every rotten piece of fruit. We don't set up fruit inspection stations to allow people in the sanctuary. However, we do need to have the wherewithal to identify those false prophets who have infiltrated the kingdom of God. So what kind of fruit might we be looking for? Well, the fruit that's identified in our world today is things like success, popularity, and style. If you've got those fruits, something must be going good in your life. But in the kingdom of God, the fruit that we are looking for is, is sound doctrine and, and growing conformity to the virtues of the kingdom. It's not about perfection, but it is about growth. It's not about spotless conduct, because who among us are, are spotless in all of our conduct? But it is about our affinity for the things of God. Because at some point, belief and conduct are inseparably connected. What you believe drives what you do. You may be able to act in contrast to your convictions for a season, but we can only tolerate that cognitive dissonance for so long. In the same sense, there, there are false prophets. We have to recognize that there are also those who are, who are close to the kingdom of God. Indeed, even some who are in the room or some who are watching from home who are close but who are not actually citizens of the kingdom. And it is their fruit... That bears witness. Not perfection, but progress. And it's not for me to go around checking this out like I'm picking out peaches at Publix. That's not what it's about at all. But it is for us to take a long look at our own hearts. And when you look inside your heart, what do you see? Do you see a, a life that is growing in conformity to the virtues of the kingdom? Do you see your opinions taking a back seat to God's opinions? Or are you trying to live in this state of dissonance where you believe one way and try to act in another way? I think the sad thing about this is that many of those imposters have even deceived themselves. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of, lone, of, of lawlessness. You know, I've heard people who read the book of Revelation for the first time and talk about how much dread those words provoked inside their heart. How frightening those words are. And it, it does have some, some frightening elements, I won't lie. But I firmly believe this. These words from the lips of Jesus are perhaps the most frightening words in the Bible. It's not the fact that there are those on the outside who don't make it into eternal life. We know that to be, to be the case. It's not the fact that Jesus only allows certain people into eternity. Again, we understand that to be the case. It is the fact that there are those who are in the church today who say all the right things, and on paper they have a very Christian resume. But according to Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, there are those who are simply false brothers and sisters who've not only convinced everyone else of their position, they've even deceived themselves. When I was first getting started in ministry, as a, as a youth pastor, I took my youth group to a big, uh, a big youth revival meeting. And the preacher that night, he preached hell hotter than any time I've ever heard it preached before. But in doing so, he, he provoked a lot of doubts in the minds of those young people that I took to this meeting. And a lot of kids responded to the invitation. Some of my students even came down overwhelmed with dread and terror at the message that they had just heard. And it occurred to me that he was using fear as an evangelistic tactic. Now, I firmly believe that God's perfectly able to scare the hell out of you. But I don't believe that fear is the motivation that leads ultimately to conversion. What I think leads to conversion is an awareness of my sin and the awareness of God's grace poured out for us, this awareness of this gift that's been given to us through the, through the cross and the resurrection. Listen to me, I don't want you to be afraid of these verses. I don't want you to be afraid of what Jesus says here. But I don't believe you can read this and not take a very long, hard look into your own heart. And if I can just be transparent for a moment, as I look at my own heart, I have to face some very real facts. I've never cast a demon out in Jesus' name. I've never done what would be considered a mighty work in Jesus' name. Never healed the sick or raised the dead or cursed a fig tree. And while I try to preach the words of God every time I stand up into this pulpit, 
I'm not really sure that I can even wear the title of a prophet. So if I'm just comparing resumes with these people, if I'm just comparing what I've got on paper versus what these guys have got on paper, and these guys don't make it in, I don't stand a chance. However, we shouldn't get stuck on the works that are mentioned here. Because the key to unlocking all of this is there in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, who will? The one that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The essential characteristic of the true believer, the genuine disciple, is obedience to God. The essential characteristic of the true believer, the genuine disciple, is obedience to God. I am a proud Southern Baptist, but I understand that we have our flaws. And one of our flaws that we have as Baptists, indeed, perhaps even evangelicals as a whole, is that we emphasize our conversion experience, but we neglect the significance of our ongoing walk with God. And we legitimately do have conversion experiences. Don't hear me say this and say, well, I'm not supposed to have a conversion experience. You absolutely should have a conversion experience. However, a true conversion experience leads to a lifetime of a walk with God. The results of our emphasis on this conversion experience is that there's a ton of people, listen to me, there are so many people walking around today thinking that they were saved at Vacation Bible School 40 years ago, but their life has never really indicated the presence of saving faith. I fear that if we were to bring Jesus' words here into our modern context, I'm afraid that this is what Jesus would say to us. Lord, Lord, did I not raise my hand at youth camp? Did I not meet with the preacher at vacation Bible school? Did I not get baptized with the rest of my friends? there will be those who that is their testimony. And Jesus will look at those folks and he will declare, I never, ever knew you. Depart from me. We can deceive others. We can even deceive ourselves. But we cannot deceive the Lord. One commentator said, It is true, of course, that no man enters the kingdom because of his obedience. But it is equally true 
that no man enters the kingdom who is not obedient. It is true that men are saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. But it is equally true that God's grace in a man's life inevitably results in obedience. So let me revisit the question I posed earlier. Which way are you following? If your path is wide and easy, and lots of popular, outgoing, fun friends, and if your Christianity is just an accessory to an otherwise self-centered walk, then, beloved, please today get off the interstate that leads to destruction and join the narrow road that leads to a greater kingdom. The good news is today that if you are on the right pathway, you still may not know all the twists and turns that are in store for you, but God is gracious to walk with you along the way. I love how the prophet Isaiah says it in Isaiah chapter 30, verses 19 through 21. He says, For a people shall dwell in Zion, talking, looking forward to the future. He says, A people shall dwell in Zion and Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he will answer you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher. And I firmly believe, speaking to us, he says this, Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. So I want to talk for a moment to the churchgoers, not the disciples, not the true followers of Jesus, those who, if they're very honest right now, looking deep in their heart, they recognize that they're living off an experience, but that their life is not truly marked a true conversion and true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to offer you the opportunity today to take the narrow path, to take the challenging way, but the only way that leads to life. Would you pray with me, please? God, I'm grateful for the hard words contained in the Sermon on the Mount. Those words that cause us to look deeply inside and to ask ourselves the hard question, am I really who I say I am? And God, I pray that the Holy Spirit might probe deeply into our hearts right now because, God, we may even have ourselves deceived. And that by your grace, you would show us what our standing today is. And so, God, if there are those in our midst today who maybe were baptized as children, maybe they had an experience at youth camp, maybe they met with a preacher at Bible school, some other experience, but never real, no real conversion, no fruit in their life. And the extent of their Christian faith has been coming to church every once in a while. 
the way that leads to life is the way of obedience to a holy God. So Lord, if there are those here today who need to repent from sin, repent from dead works, repent from empty faith, and truly trust in Jesus, then I would ask that today would be the day that we might see those saved. That they would put their pride aside, that they would not worry about what people think, because we know that the narrow pathway is not concerned about what people think. That wide road, it, it, it matters what people think, and, and that, that matters what people's opinions are. The narrow road doesn't care, because the narrow road is only concerned with one thing, and that is pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, God, I pray that, that they would metaphorically leave that interstate highway that leads to destruction and take the exit that leads to life, that narrow pathway paved by Jesus. God, if they're watching from home today, I pray, Father, that, that, that even in their home, even as they listen through their screens and their computers and their televisions, that they would recognize that even from their home today, they don't have to continue on that wide path, but that they can turn from sin and turn to Jesus today and let their life be characterized not by selfish pride, not by their own self-interest, but that it would be characterized by a desire to be obedient to the Father. That the words of the Lord's Prayer that, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven will become lived out in our lives as we seek to do the will of God. Lord, I pray that today those who need to respond by repentance and faith would not leave this campus today until they've had a chance to get this right. We ask that you move now in our midst, move at home. May today be a day of salvation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.